That was the music of Simon Schaff. Welcome to The Clues Chronicle, the only show that brings you raw, peer-reviewed research from cluesforum.info, the premier website for exposure of the errors in the public record and history. I'm Hoi Polloi. I'm Kay. And we're all about keeping it real together with you. Kay, what does that mean? We love critical thinkers, skeptical inquiry, media forensics, and curious people who have noticed problems that the mainstream and alternative media share. That's right. And we're all about exposing the media's magic tricks by getting around to asking questions that the media tries to prevent people from asking. If you're unfamiliar with the concepts of how deception has evolved with the evolution of media technology, from books to simulation machines like computers and phones, you can catch up to these concepts by listening to our semi-weekly show. Always reachable at www.thecluschronicle.info or by searching The Clues Chronicle in iTunes, as long as iTunes will uh, allow us to stay on iTunes. Today is Friday the 13th of November. This is Issue 6. Hi, Vidir, and the possibility that we've never sent anyone to the moon. We'll start with an interview with independent researcher and volunteer Vidir. Have a little chat about bogus outer space news being Reagan at your head, mm-hmm. and then read from the thread on Clues Forum entitled The Moon Hoax.
took place a week and a half later on Monday, November 23rd. Sorry for the delay. Now to introduce Vidir Lisette, or as we like to call her, Vidir. Hello, Vidir. Or Madam V. <laughs> Do you mind if I just call you V since KM is K? Sure, you can call me V. You know, it seems like we don't have enough time ever to just catch up with each other over normal subjects, and I'm trying to, you know, wrangle you for this interview about so-called serious subjects. I'm sorry about that, um, but thank you for agreeing to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Where did your name Vidir Lisette come from? During my research online, I had come across Absite, and I thought this was somewhat of an odd character, and I looked at his name, and I thought, why would he have a name called I think when you translate Abirado, it means irrational man. Is that what it is? I thought that's kind of weird. Or irate man. And I thought, hmm, <laughs> is he trying to make us all crazy? I, I didn't realize or I didn't know what or trust who he was at the time. And I thought, well, I'll do the same thing. I'll find a Latin name that kind of takes into account who I am and what my my whole uh, existence in the on the path was so when I started searching, I saw that name and I thought, "Oh, that really fits because it means um, permitted to see." On this strange journey I was on, I was actually permitted to see. We were manipulated along the way to find um, this place or where we're we're at to find each other. So in some ways, I feel like we're in a petri dish and seeing what they do. That is interesting that you say that because it it ties in with my feeling about my reflections lately about why I went semi-anonymous in the first place too. Because when I first started researching, I also did the same thing you did where I saw what other researchers were doing. Oh, they have these handles. They're not going by their real name. There must be some reason people are doing this, but they're interested in the subjects I'm interested in. So I guess to fit in, I should take on like a fake name. Yeah, it's just so interesting. How do you feel about anonymity? Do you think that's part of the psyop that we do to ourselves? Do you think that that's imposed on us in some way? I, I actually think that it's in some ways good because being a researcher, I can find a lot of things on a lot of people. And this is my set of beliefs that, it, that not many people can actually feel comfortable with. In this last while, I've um, actually been seeing counselors and I actually unloaded on them some of this information and it, people can't take it. You know, I, I see that it was like I took a two by four to my counselor's head and, just, <laughs> and you just see the reaction on her face. And I, and I, it, it just, people can't take this information. When I was looking at Facebook, I had seen a poster of two different things. One was a TV and one was um, the internet. And I had, I've always I've had these conversations with my family where they think that the internet is misleading me and I really need to think about it because there's a lot of stuff on there and how do you know it's not telling you all the wrong things, which I do know that there are things on the internet that don't tell me the truth, but there are a multitude of sources. So this poster had said, you can either look at the television and get your source from what six corporations that own that, or you can look at it many places on the internet and come up with a, you know, a, your own idea of what reality is. So, That's a really good point. I feel like that's 
that's a good use of Facebook if Facebook is used to actually inform people about that kind of choice. Well, see, I think that they are. Um, I was amazed that this relative had posted this, but it was pictures of the Boston bombing, Sandy Hook, um, the Paris thing, and oh, the oh, the um, theater thing that had happened, and it was the same look of that same girl with her hand clutched to her face. And they all look like the same woman. It's like they're playing this trick on us and using the same people over and over. Just like slightly different, hairlines the same. And and you think to yourself, if this were really true news articles, the odds of them capturing that same look in every one of these different crises, (laughs) they could never do it. I see what you mean. Yeah, we've noticed that too, for sure. I mean, as as other researchers go. Characters over and over. Yeah, and they like to conserve the number of people that they use, which makes sense because you don't want too many people involved that you have to vet. Right. So tell people how your perception of the media changed over time from when you were a young girl to now. When I was younger, I don't think I paid too much attention. The news was always kind of boring to listen to when you're a young child. I I think growing up, maybe in my young adult years when... They'd have we'd laugh and say murder, death, mayhem on the news. We'd think it was real, and we get sucked right into the drama of the whole thing, and you know, camp out on the couch and watch you know uh, various events unfold. After the dreaded ball thing that comes out of the sky on the news, oh, the way right. I understood it at that time, it was the live footage, supposed live footage of the nine eleven events. You know, whether it was real or not, people can argue about that, but. The way my mind looked at it and saw it at the time was there's something on the screen and they're totally ignoring it. And my trust in those people just diminished to nothing. And I realized how much trust I had in them, like the Katie Couric and the Diane Sawyers and all those people. They just came, you know, full of, I just trusted what they had to say. And when I saw that, and it was like this, I guess that would have been the, um, the uh, cognitive dissonance where what I was seeing and hearing didn't, it was clashing with my belief in who these people were. I see. So do you think that you have something in your inherent character that allows you to turn that cognitive dissonance into curiosity rather than trauma? Or do you think there's something else inherent to your character that makes you curious about the world around you as opposed to other people? I think I have less fear. I think I have more curiosity, and I want to find the truth more than I want to feel comfortable. Wow. I think that's probably what it is. Is there some way that you can tell us about um, your real character? What I mean is, do you have something, like an anecdote about a moment in your life uh, that you realized something was a bit off about what educated adults believed? I remember being in sixth grade or fifth grade. Um, I had this teacher who had horrible handwriting. I think I had more attention to detail, and I I could spell really well. I, I Spelling was one of my things, and I would correct the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and he... He became very upset with me. I remember him grading my paper wrong or something. I just remember my mother going and and speaking to him and 
I remember my mother coming up against him because I was right in what I had said to him. And I think it was always questioning authority. Not not disrespectfully, but just knowing that, you know, the authorities weren't necessarily always to be followed. I remember my mother in church, uh, we would go to this old Eastern European church, and they always made my mother feel like she was less than because she wasn't one of them. Oh. And I, I remember her standing, like she could outcook them, she could spin circles around them, <laughs> the end but it was like she I remember her standing up to them and basically saying that you know my child never went to one of those kinds of schools and they are just as as intelligent as any other child I just remember her being very not afraid to stand up to authority but always with respect and never defiantly but just and I think that taught me that you know authority can be wrong and if something's wrong, we should actually have a voice. And I think I've never had that feeling that I need to, like the power of the situation where everyone else is not saying a word, I would feel quite comfortable in stepping forward because I would feel their discomfort and want to make them feel like, it's okay, <laughs> we can do this. And wow. um, I think that's probably part of my character that has led me to where I am. That's really, that's a great story. What do you think makes people like us um, who have stories like that or even stories different from that, but which lead us to this kind of view of the world? What do you think makes people like us more ready to understand that? Honestly, I think we have a different brain. Who knows, maybe brain damage, I don't know. But I think we probably have, maybe we have uh, bigger, what do they call it, the, the frontal lobe. Try um, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> it's called the Conflict Resolution Center. I think that we are very gifted when it comes with dealing with conflict resolution. We're more diplomatic, right. it's almost like you're saying. We're not filled with fear. I don't think, I think we've got skinny amygdalas. <laughs> you know, we don't have, we're not like um, <laughs> feral people where they're, you know, I think, I think of con- conservatives to be very, very much like feral cats or feral people. Their, you know, their fear center is very thick. And, and I think that, you know, in a lot of ways, it, it makes for a great life for some people when they're always fearful of whatever, but it wouldn't make for a great life for me because I, I just wouldn't live within the confines of what a lot of people that live with that kind of mindset can live with, you know, constantly fearful of those outside of their own circle of people, you know, fearful that they are falling outside the lines, like very rigid in their their life view or their worldview, very opposite of who we are. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, speaking of um, crossing lines and you know exploring, do you remember how you came across um, our research at Clues Forum? I don't know where it was that I came across the Clues Forum. It could have been on an app site, but I do remember there was a video. I don't think you had had anything to do with the video, but I think they had taken your work, didn't they? Yeah, there were a couple of videos that some people had produced um, based on the victim report, and it was about questioning uh, had people died because of some of the evidence that we had uncovered about uh, the photo manipulation of the victim pictures. Right, and I remember that that was a very memorable time in my life when everything turned inside out for me. And I was actually explaining this to my husband just the other night. I think, why is it something so simple for you and I to talk about? It's such a huge 
thing for a person that's in that paradigm to cross over to ours. And that's where the victims weren't real. And I remember watching that and seeing all of the similarities and all of the names and, and looking at it and thinking, oh, my gosh, I used to think that these are really bad people that did this, but these, real, these victims aren't even real. This is all made up. And, and I don't know why that's like this huge thing to, to find your way through to. I don't know either, but, but I, ha- I have a sense that it might have something to do with how people get their information. And when you take away the the basic things that people use to gather information trust, around the world, right. yeah, all of a sudden it becomes uh, it's too much because they have no alternative. Their right. basic, their only form of gathering information has been uh, the television, for example, or certain uh, newspapers or something. And if they agree with what you're saying, then they have to give up Diane Sawyer. Or then they have to give Keurig. <laughs> and, and those are special people to them. And that's their path of trust, right? So I think maybe that's it. I don't know. But I just know that once I... I remember feeling a lot of fear after I saw that. I was like, oh my gosh, I know. I know how they did it. Mm. I know how it happened. And, and it's like everything turned inside out. And I just remember driving up and down the freeway, going back and forth to work, thinking, they know that I know. I know that they know that I know. And it was just the weirdest feeling and then after i don't know maybe it was a couple weeks a month or something it's like they don't care that i know all of a sudden you get to that piece of they just don't care or you know we don't really matter to them we're, we're self-governing you know eventually i'll be pulled back into the herd of the sheep and that feel that it's very uncomfortable to feel outside of but again i'm like one of you where i don't feel sad about not being the same as everyone else. I can li- I can exist on the outside. I've got, got my few connections. I've got my family that loves me. You know, my world doesn't have to be big. I don't have to wear this designer label. I don't have to fit in. I don't have to drive the right car. I don't have to be a part of the herd. I can feel comfortable. So I think maybe that's part of it too. You know, there is a bit of discomfort when you're outside of it all. You know, when my family's freaking out because they think that I've fallen off the edge of the earth and I'm going to pull them down with me. Well, because of that, because of that thought process that you had where you came to some realization that, oh, if I realize this, the authorities may notice that I know, but they may not care because they also know that we're so few in number. And that whole thought process might not be what your family is ready to do because that's like a whole set of individual beliefs. The point is, whoa, I'm already on this other side of it. And I think the common thread or a common, uh, something to reach across to that paradigm that people can understand is the money. If you can show how the money and the power work, oftentimes they can follow you to the brink. And they can understand what you're getting at. A lot of times they won't want to cross over, but they know they can follow the money. And oftentimes you don't have to. Part of me is questioning whether I really want to affect somebody else's paradigm. You know, because I don't necessarily know that this is the right path that we're on. In other words, people might not need to trust your thought process at all. You're saying it's like the question may be moot. True. Because 
you know, the further we step back, the more we see the picture, right? And at first, you're absolutely horrified that they're lying to us. And then you step, step back a little bit, and then you see, oh my gosh, they're not really killing anyone. They're just telling a story, and it's all a production. And then you step back further, and you think, oh my goodness, they need people to move this way or that way, so that's why they do this. You know, and then you step back further. Who's to say what we'll see when we see a clearer picture? I think you're really onto something there, and it's so great that you mentioned the money thing because in episode eight, uh, Kay and I are going to talk about banking and currency and things like that, and so yeah, that ties really well with future subjects of the show. But I was wondering because you are interested in this research, and there may be people who do like your thought process, and they just may be curious about you know how to explore the world that you're exploring. What is one of the strongest tips that you can give well-meaning, legitimate people interested in the real world, uh, which will help them find out more about whatever they're curious about? I really feel that the study of psychology and how easily we're manipulated or how we can be manipulated is something that is really worth looking into. I think the whole idea of, of um, what do they call it, social engineering, is something that I would like to study and see how we connect with each other. I've gone through some life experiences that you know of, Hoi and, and Kay, over the last year that I am surprised at how connected I am to my family and how there are a lot of things that we don't understand about who we are. Yeah. And I think that, um, that we're more connected than we realize. I think that a lot of the information that's put up before us to make us fearful disconnects us. And I, I almost feel like we are like birds with clipped wings that we really don't understand a lot of what goes on around us and why they do what they do. Because there's an awful lot of money that's spent to affect all of us. And why? You know, when you really step back and look and you think, that's an awful lot of power and resources and money and control that these people spend in order to control our thoughts and our minds. So I think there's, you know, a lot more that we can learn. And, you know, who knows? Maybe they don't hide it. Maybe it's there before us and we have every right to learn. So. That's a very fascinating perspective. Is there another tip that you might give people to, um, to research? Yeah, I have to share with you guys. I was watching how they make these actors. Who was the actor that died in the car crash? Oh, was he the one from the Fast and Furious movies? Right, and they were talking. This is funny because I, it, it reminds me of those books that sit on the coffee table where you look hard enough and something appears. And we had gone back and watched that clip at the end of our, our discussion we had where we showed this video on how they had taken these actors who had passed away and they had actually inserted them into the end of movies like Oliver Reed and this young actor. And I thought to myself, because they were talking about how they took the characteristics of his two brothers and made him his character in CGI. When I looked at it, I thought, actually, maybe Paul Walker, that was his name, never really existed at all. And he was actually a CGI of those two men who were brothers and created him. But yet they tell us the story of how... He died, and they actually needed his two brothers to make him in that movie. Maybe that's how they made him to begin with, and he never really existed. And that was the whole point in 
him dying, that he was the complete CGI character from the start to finish, which, of course, maybe he wasn't. Well, that's so funny. That's so funny because I had the opposite thought. I had the thought that, oh, in this movie, they knew he was going to fake his death for this psychological operation. So they CGI'd his face to make it look as if it was inserted. But the whole time, it was just Paul Walker acting in the movie the entire time, and they just sort of and and they just sort of made it look like he was digitally added by using a little bit of digital makeup, you know. And the thing is, we just don't know because the technology is good enough now that it could be his brother or whatever, you know. It could be anything. But you know what we do know, Hoy? We do know that the death that they showed us was not real. It had all of the hallmarks of a a psyop. The uh, the burning tree. It just everything about it was. I didn't follow Paul Walker. Never was a fan of his. Don't know who he is. Don't care to know who he is. When I saw that news piece, I just knew that it was fake. And then when they wrote that song about him, I thought, who is this guy that they would write a song about? And I just, I could see how it is just part of their formula. And like you said, it's like you know something's up, so you're thinking of it from the exact opposite angle. Then he never died and that they're faking the CGI to make it look like real CGI. And I'm thinking that maybe he never existed because maybe they, from the very beginning, took his two brothers and made a CGI character. So there's and something so, up with him. There's something up with what they're trying to portray him to be. Or who knows, maybe the guy just died of cancer and they wanted their movie to make lots of money, so they made him try to tried to make him look like a James Dean or whoever. The great thing is that, you know, you and I can come at it from different angles and we can agree and yeah. say you know what, we don't have the same perspective on this, but we are both friends and passionate researchers. And that's just something that you sometimes don't see as often in efforts to derail conversations and divide us and take all of our little differences in opinion and turn it into big fights instead of instead of opportunities to learn. So I'm wondering, because you have recognized a lot of things like this in our research, is there, is there some other uh, subtle form of derailing used by agents of disinformation that you've encountered? Oh, oh yeah, my favorite. He's the <laughs> I love studying this. Ed Cerini and the wellawareone.com guy. That was a lesson in how they control their own opposition and how they, they snag us with some pertinent information that we know is true. And we're drawn into their vehicle of craziness. So when I first saw him, he said a lot of things that made sense to me. You know, when you look at, he brought up the whole Gabby Gifford thing and how you look at the pictures and there was no blood. And it was just a lot of valid points. Then what happens is you don't realize that you're actually being hypnotized to open your mind and take what he has to say even further, he starts telling you that this person really isn't that person and this celebrity really isn't that celebrity and they're both this person. And, of course, we're so hardwired to believe everything we see, so we're just taking it all in. And then before you know it, you're, like, questioning everything and you're defending his insanity of, yes, this person is that person. And, of course, what they want you to do is take that to a friend or relative and who will look at you and think you're absolutely crazy, pin a tinfoil hat on your head, and spin you off and, and tell you to go somewhere else. So hmm. that was like a huge embarrassment for me, you know, be uh, manipulated by that, that um, I, don't, I don't know what you'd call it. It was like, it really woke me up because I would look at 
something maybe a week or two later and think, how could I have ever thought that? You named it. You said it was they control their own opposition. They do that right. on purpose. That's a really yes. good point. And he is, don't watch the screen, but just listen to it. I would never recommend anybody watch that. And be very aware that when you do watch a video screen, that the uh, lights that go around in a circle and just be aware of how those things affect you and make you feel very comforted and very calm. And even when you start watching the news, if you watch the news and you see that animation where the light goes around something, there's something about circles that puts us in a state of acceptance. The more I studied how that happened to me, the more I realized that video is very powerful to us. You know, even at the beginning of a movie, when they're showing you the the movie wheel going around in circles and start of a movie, it's opening you up to accept the story. There's a lot of hypnotic uh, methods that are used on us when we when we watch a TV screen or when we watch a film. And oftentimes, I think it's best to listen to things more than because your brain thinks differently when it listens rather than than watches. We are much more easy to manipulate than we we really truly realize. A lot of things are fed to us that we think we've come up with or that we think are original. You know, they've just been put before us in such a form or a fashion that we come, think we come up with it on our own. I hear you totally. Uh, creativity is a um, one of my favorite subjects because I think it also has something to do with what you're talking about psychology and even maybe genetics at some point and epigenetics and things. Um, now... I would say that us as researchers are a kind of a creative type. And we may even be a kind of person that needs to explore. Even if we don't benefit much from it, it might be that there is some other reason that we have to do it. Maybe it benefits society if we're optimistic about it. Or um, it's that petri dish phenomenon again. You know, Where do we fit in the, in the great big picture? Or maybe we're comfortable not being a part of it and having it further away so we can look at it. Maybe it's a survival tool. Do you think there's something as researchers that we need to learn in order to get the word out and organize? Do you think it's something that w some kind of personal transformation we have to do? Will we hit a critical mass? Where do you see all of this going? I think we have to be there for each other. I think that we have to be like those 12-step programs, it's like attraction rather than promotion. I think that when people see that we have a calmness about us or that we're not affected, I think a lot of people come up to me and ask me what I think about things because they might be feeling some fear. You know, they're a new college student and they're worried that they're going to college and all these college shootings are happening. I, I mm. just think that we have to be a calmness in the storm. Have wow. to. And I think that if we simplify the story, simplify it to the point where I like to tell people that if, if we really want to feel in control, we have to live in our, our local community. If you really want to affect government, stop watching the television and watching those fake actors tell us where the government's going. Go, go down to your city hall. See what those people are doing because that's where you have the power. That's where you have the control. Lennon Honor, has, he, he's given me a lot of insight when he talks about how they want you to feel that you're powerless over everything. You know, they want to extract the power from all of us. And what better way than to show us um, the central government that we really can't even affect in, in any way. And, you know, they're taking our eye off the ball, which is actually our local government. And they're, take, they're extracting power from us. When you're so busy with your life in your community, you turn on that television and it doesn't make sense anymore. When I, when I turn it on and, and I'll repeat it like, murder, death, mayhem, what are they talking about? Or, or repeating a sentence. 
and then having someone beside me go, yeah, that doesn't make sense, does it? Because they just feed this load of crap all the time, you know, and, and mm. people mindlessly take it in when it doesn't even make sense what they're saying. The parachuting thing, that those terrorists came in, they didn't say a word, you know, making them sound really scary, didn't even say a word, but yet they held 100 people hostage. How do you hold 100 people hostage and not say a word? You know, to me, that doesn't make sense, and, and the story doesn't make sense. So that kind of brings us to the main subject of this episode, which is, you know, what what does NASA really have to do with any of our real local uh, community? What does it have to do with our real lives? So I guess if I could uh, close out the interview, I would ask you to tell us a bit about the main subject of this issue, which is the possibility that the moon landings are entirely fake and maybe even rocketry is fake and space probes and satellites uh, are faked for some reason. It was Boston. I said, no, I don't think they're real. It looks kind of phony. I just, I just, I don't know the story. I just looked at a, a little bit of the video and, and this man that I work with in the coffee room, he says, I bet you don't think those moon landings are, are real either, do you? And I looked at him and I thought, I don't even know about the moon landings. And then I thought, maybe I'll go take a look at that. But it really didn't interest me. And, you know, when I started to look at the moon landings, I just thought, wow, how can people not see this? How can they not see that it is just full-on fakery? And it's so funny that the guy, even though he thinks he's, you know, educating you to get you back in line, he's admitting subconsciously that he draws a connection between <laughs> things that look fake and exactly. the moon landings. He, I, yeah, it was like he wanted to pin the tinfoil hat on me, and he wanted to put that one on me too, I guess. I don't know. But just for me to say, I don't think it looks real. Yeah, when he said, I never would have thought of the moon landings or anything until I started watching. And then I thought, if you step back and you look at the technology they had in that year, <clears throat> you can clearly see that they had no business sending any, anything to the moon. I don't think that they had the technology to do that. Yeah, I think and, you're right. You know, one big telltale sign is there was no delay in the voices going back and forth. Now, how can that be when they have a delay in all of the um, satellite feeds that they have now? I think you're onto something there, and I believe those delays are artificial in the sense that there's some kind of psychological thing going on there with the second delays where you see the anchor sort of nodding there for a second, getting the information, I think that is meant to make us believe something about how the data is traveling, even though that could simply be a software limit that they put on there. Because a lot of I, data... I believe that there's a delay. Well, look at when you're on the phone. There are times that you have delays with your network traffic or what have you. I believe that that can actually happen. But I don't believe in the 60s that there would be absolutely no delay. Right, but they're trying to tell us that the reason for the delay is it's uh, bouncing off of a satellite hundreds of miles in space instead of the near ionosphere or through all the cables that they have miles and miles and miles of underwater and underground cables of communications or even simply towers. But they're trying to tell us that the delays work inconsistently from like the 1960s to 50 years later. They had better communication back then. Right. I don't believe, I don't believe in the satellite either because I think it's, it doesn't make sense. Triangulation makes more sense. Or it, it actually, the whole idea of sending a thing all the way out to, 
the space only to send it all the way back in doesn't make sense to me either. Yes, and that is that's really cool, and I'm super excited to talk about uh, that sort of technology, and we'll definitely get into that um, in probably later episodes, if not this one. However, I have no more questions, so if you have anything else, um, please feel free to add it now. We've covered a lot. You know, we could go on for hours. I just love you guys. And, um, yeah, we love you <laughs> And we have, we have talked for many, many hours. So, um, <laughs> and yeah. we probably will, and we'll talk for many more. For many, um, yeah. But thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vidir. I know it's hard. You've got so much things going on. We have so many things going on. So thank you again. Well, when we come back, Kay, Kay and I will read from the initial posts of the moon hoax, and now a song from the social service. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay, this is the moon hoax thread. Go to cluesforum.info to follow along. Click on the general discussion, the age of media fakery forum, then the Apollo and more space hoaxes subforum. And in the top pinned topics, there should be the moon hoax thread, uh, trending right now at 85 pages. Do you mm. see that, Kay? That's a, yeah, that's a nice thread, yes. isn't it? Nice and yeah, thick. It's, gotten, <laughs> it's, it's like a tome now. <laughs> it and is. it started out as um, a bunch of conversations, I think, on the Reality Shack. And unfortunately, you know, you'll, you'll notice as we read this that when we compiled that thread, uh, which we started in, in Clues Forum called The Moon Hoax, it, it starts out as a few pages of leftover conversation and orienting ourselves in the topic. And it also happens to include some people who may not be into the conversation for um, exactly altruistic reasons, if that makes sense. Yeah, like they're to just cause trouble. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a kind of argumentation thing I've seen a lot on forums, which is very successful at shutting down a discussion, especially for people who aren't aware of it. It so happens that people who are aware of it can also get tricked by this. You know, two people come on working as a team or a number of them and they act like enemies and they give bad points and good points mixed and throw them at each other. It could be legitimate, but it looks enough like a deliberate attempt to derail the conversation with repeated spelling errors that kind of don't make sense, points that have never been brought up that will distract you and have you, you know, going off into the garden path and not really following the important thrust of the conversation, which is, in this case, the moon landings being a hoax. Bear that in mind as we read these, please, audience, and I think you'll understand why we eventually became stricter over time. And some of the users that initially are posting disappear because they either leave or we ban them. So um, you were saying these quotes then, since it's the very first one and they're quoting, it's taken from the reality shack that you brought over to Clues right. Farm. And so as a result, some of the data uh, is kind of funny, like there's missing characters or replaced characters. Um, there was an in-importing process, which we uh, messed up. We're, we're, we're really new to this forum thing. We still are uh, kind of inexperienced in the PHP bulletin board and stuff. So um, you may notice that. But eventually we kind of corral the conversation into people actually debating real points instead of silly things. That's good. You know, bring it over. All right, start. The Moon Hoax by... First we got Ultima quoting Godzilla. I agree with Simon that debating this subject detracts from looking at the heaps of evidence and common sense that prove there were no manned moon flights 40 years ago. I think it's a great place to deposit those heaps for all to see. I vote we use this thread for research and discussion of the fakery of events without getting bogged down with any posters who choose, for whatever reason, to argue with the moon missions, to argue that the moon missions were real events. Then Ultima 11 responds, You do know that several other countries were involved in tracking and were watching the Apollo missions. If the moon landings were faked, why didn't countries like Russia blow the whistle on us? Are you trying to say that other countries were involved in a conspiracy with us? Yeah, that's a silly point. And then antipoded. Uh, also, this... <laughs> what? Of course they are. <laughs> this is also Ultima 1, before Ultima 11, because Ultima 
made a bunch wow. of versions of him or her or themselves um, that we had to contend with. Every time we banned them, they would come back as a different Ultima. So. Oh, that's interesting. And then, yeah, Ultima says, why blow the whistle when you can carry on getting mice with little, oh, getting an ISIL earner, basically getting paid for, through blackmail. Yes. And if the Soviets accused NASA of faking the moon landings, they would have simply been accused of having sour grapes and spreading propaganda. That's a fair point. Sour grapes sounds like a simplistic news type of story, mm. I guess. But in reality, I don't think, can a country have sour grapes? <laughs> a whole country? I don't think it's that no, simple. No, that's tr- yeah, that's true. I agree. Antipodian has made some good points uh, and then sat on the sidelines a lot, too. Mm. Smoking Gun 2 replies on the same day, October 30th, 2009, I had already preempted the reflector argument and should have done the same with the why didn't the Russians blow the whistle claim. This is all the believers have left to cling to. Next, they'll be pointing out the golf ball in NASA's high-resolution photos that Simon posted. And then there should be a blinky face there, which I guess is meant to express exasperation. Mm. Then Hoy Poloy responds on November 29th with an admin message. While editing this thread, shit happened. We managed to save most of the posts onto this new moon hoax thread. Some of the first posts were lost. Yeah, so I'm just explaining that how. Yeah, although this is a conversation from October 30th, a month later when we were compiling it, some stuff happened. Then I say, ha ha ha, because I'm laughing at this ridiculous thing. Check out this Space Today online guy's resume. And I post a link to uncp.edu. And you can read about this character, and I'll just open it here. Oh, it looks like it's not found any longer. But his academic specialties, as far as um, someone who reports on space missions and so forth, include mass communications mostly. So mass media, print media, broadcast and electronic media, computer-mediated communication, international communications. And then I highlighted allied media professions public relations, which we all know is code for propaganda, media relations, 3D virtual reality worlds, social networks, machinima, and he lists a bunch of other interesting non-space things, unless you understand where we're coming from, that a lot of the space stuff is propaganda, including Second Life, Internet, World Wide Web, CD-ROM, DVD, PowerPoint, blogs, wikis, digital storytelling, Podcasts, social bookmarking, content sharing, tag clouds, YouTube, Flickr, Facebook, MySpace, Dig, etc., etc. Oh, they're still mentioning MySpace then. So machinima is a buzzword for recording ambient portions of video games in order to create movies. An example would be a recording of Super Mario jumping in place for hours. Sadly, that is a real example of machinima. (laughs) It is. It is. Reminds me of when cheap-ass artists print their stuff on inkjet printers and needed a fancy word for it, so they came up with giclet, LOL. Mm -hmm. Other fields of study that are mentioned as far as this person's credentials for reporting on space. Political science, social sciences, astronomy, space science, history of science, physical sciences, academic research methods, quantitative and qualitative research in social sciences. So it's a lot about studying people in media as opposed to i guess what you would expect a space expert to be focused on like perhaps physics or anything like that math technology and society is also highlighted in that post 
I just want to point out with his 3D virtual reality worlds, there was the Sandy Hook video. It's the Robbie Parker interview where he's laughing. I don't know. Me and Vadir looked into it, and it looks like it might be CG. Yes. The whole interview. I agree with you because I looked at your analysis. I actually happened to see that one. And there are parts where, yes, you could say it's augmented reality and some face is on another person's head. That seems clear enough. He's exiting that door, and it's almost as if he his head changes to someone else's head. It changes to the official head of that parent there. And you can see strange compression and things like that on that video. I'm not so sure some of it isn't deliberate cryptography disguised as compression. Hmm. Interesting. I need to go look at that again. He's good at, you know, contributing his simulacrum to the uh, to the to the military simulation or whatever the heck that thing is. It's definitely not a normal interview with a real series of people all earnestly being their ostensible roles. It's clearly some kind of weird staged thing. How could he be a specialty in so many areas? Is that normal? Oh yeah, back these to the days? post. Uh, I'm not so sure. I think that a lot of maybe journalists might want to say, for the sake of getting a job, that they're experts in so many different words for the same thing, which is society and technology. Yes, content sharing. Come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> He's a specialist I'm in a content specialist sharing. In Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I post there a lot. Facebook, I, I look know. at my friend's pictures a lot. CD-ROM, <laughs> CD-ROM databases. That means he's stuck in a <laughs> stuck in a yellow pages phone guide into his laptop disk drive. That's what he's a specialty. I think that's at. why I said ha 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 at the top of the post because I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So Ultima one says, still waiting for the evidence, your evidence that debates the reflector being placed on the moon by Apollo missions. Other links about reflectors placed on the moon. There's one at physics.nist.gov. One of the space program's longest-running experiments, and one with a NIST connection, celebrates its 25th anniversary this month by continuing to return data. During their pioneering moon landing on July 20, 1969, the Apollo 11 astronauts set up a laser reflector to make precise measurements of the distance between the Earth and the moon. The still operational experimental station reflects a powerful laser pulse aimed at it from telescopes on Earth. By measuring how long the pulse takes to return to Earth, the round trip takes about 2.5 seconds. Scientists have defined the Earth-Moon distance to within 2.5 centimeters. That's about an inch. The reflector was just... Uh, Anyway. Yeah, I noticed that, right? Seconds and centimeters. That's accidental. Yeah, probably. The reflector was designed primarily by James Fowler of the Joint Institute for Laboratory Astrophysics, operated cooperatively by NIST and the University of Colorado. It consists of a briefcase-sized aluminum panel studded with 100 corner reflectors. The corners of the precision ground glass cubes have been cut off at 45-degree angles, each about 1.5 inches across. When a ray of light enters the cut-off surface, it is internally reflected from the three sides of the corner, exits the cutoff surface parallel to its entry path, and then returns to its source. The same principle is used in bicycle reflectors. Yeah, they reflectors. could have just said, it's a bicycle oh, yeah. reflector. <laughs> but maybe just a little bigger, you know, since it's and on you the moon. Carry it, you know, they give you the sense of weight. They're like, it's about the size of a briefcase. So you really 
feel that reflector physically in your hand, you know, when you're imagining this thing. That's a, that's a clever little psyop thing there. All right. A little bit of programming. Make it feel more real. The Apollo 14 and 15 missions delivered two other Fowler design reflectors, including one with 300 quarter cubes. All three reflectors are targeted almost nightly by scientists and observatories in Texas and France. Texas and France, but where in Texas and France? Those are rather large places. <laughs> right. And then there's another website at govexec.com. And is that in New Jersey? Anyway, the NIST laser reflectors left on the moon by Apollo missions have made it possible to determine the distance between Earth and the moon to better than an inch. Well, this the second article says better than an inch. Doesn't that mean less than an inch? Um, yeah, it should, shouldn't it? Yeah. The other one was one and a half inches. I'm just saying That's they don't right. match. Yeah, themselves. he even posts the contradiction in his own post. Isn't there another problem that you mentioned uh, yesterday about this? The diffusion of lasers is is a known problem with sending them any length, let alone uh, some hundreds of thousands of kilometers or something. Right, and when it, when the laser from Earth actually gets to the moon and hits the moon's surface, it's six point. Na, they say themselves, NASA says it's six point five miles yeah, wide. Yeah, and I was, and I was thinking when I was imagining so it that it would have to be about as wide as the moon itself, you know, or, or like hundreds of miles. I mean, okay, maybe Wikipedia will say, yeah, they've got a super laser that's very, you know, resistant to diffusion, but. Right. How wide is the moon? Let's do that real quick. Because if the laser is six and a half kilometers, maybe we should, the beam when it gets there is four miles wide. The moon is 2,159 miles wide. You know right. what I heard? The scientists were talking. They It's super hard to even hit the moon in the first place. <laughs> well, there is that problem of what exactly happens to light as it gets further from the earth but anyway this is a whole big science discussion that, that clues forum has been trying to address more or less unsuccessfully for some time and th this is a bunch of people really trying to wrap their heads around something that nasa doesn't even want to touch right okay the next post is by simon shack responding to ultima he quotes ultima one again on october 30th where he says also if the moon landings were faked the russians would have been the first to blow the whistles on us since they were watching everything we were doing i noticed ultima deliberately misspells some things a couple times, or at least he's copy-pasting badly, like ev evidence instead of evidence, and relfectors. He actually spells reflectors relfectors oh. the same wrong way in two consecutive sentences. But anyway, Simon catches on to it and says, Lunacode, wasn't it Lunocode? Oh, never mind. This eight-wheeled Russian kettle speedily delivers some yummy goulash to your very doorstep. Many LOLs. The Lunocode. And there is a, uh, I would say, a kind of hot tea dispenser on fruit cage wheels. I don't know. It's like hard, hard to say what this thing looks like, but it doesn't look like something worthy of space travel. It looks like a tea kettle. It does, you know, because it's all metal on eight metal wheels. And you know what I thought? Uh, the Russian engineers got it right. You don't bring rubber up to the moon. <laughs> There, yeah, I, gonna, I read an article hoax. on this. At least do some thinking about that hoax, please. Exactly. Metal wheels. Well, that's the way to go. Yeah, and in fact, 
why not make something out of house components? That's going to save the taxpayers so much money. Just take this teapot and, and cut it in half and solder some stuff to it, you know. We'll put the microchips inside this teapot. It's got a dome lid, and it, the lid pops up like the popcorn's done. Pop, and the lid yeah, just, just snaps right that. up. It looks also a bit like still, they're still using foil technology, the magical tin foil that gets things through vast arrays of uh, radiation in space. But if this is really metal, this is super heavy. This looks like solid metal. Yeah, and how big is it? That might even mm. weigh more than an astronaut. Right. And it's bigger than a briefcase. <laughs> Perhaps that's why the Russians hold their tongues tied about the moonlies, da? Oh, maybe he means moonlies, yeah. They want to keep the lunar goulash recipe for themselves. And this is its more impressively named American counterpart, the Lunar Laser Ranging Retro Reflector. And, oh my gosh, this is an official picture. It shows a blurry, collaged image of a thing sitting on a fake shadow looking like it's hovering on the moon's surface with a blatant blurry picture of the lander in the background and even some kind of evidence of rear projection it looks like you know that technique they said they used to fake the background which was used in uh, stanley kubrick's 2001 space odyssey where they do like a rear projection matte uh, screen with all these little beads you know what i'm talking about mm. it's a yeah, it's a very sophisticated yeah for the time, form of kind of like blue screen before they had like blue screen, green screen tech. Yeah, that that image is clearly out of the whole color tone and it's it's cut and paste job. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and look at those prints. First of all, isn't that supposed to be impossible because there's no moisture on the moon? At least that's they claim to have not found moisture. So how is this like packing down like that? And then also, where are the footprints to there if they're hopping around? Yeah, that's. I think that's part of the um, the NLP going on in this picture. You're you're gonna be subliminally disturbed by it if you don't already know that all of a sudden you just got a place where there's a bunch of footprints and a thing. But how'd they get there? You don't show them getting there it's or like leaving they just there. Just dropped right down in there. When and by NLP. You mean neuro-linguistic programming, right? But this is kind of like a... They build in specific stuff. programming. There, we'll come up with that. There you go. Neurographic yeah. programming. And I like it a lot. Simon yeah. finishes the post by saying, Of course, it appears to be hovering over the lunar surface only because everything is much lighter on the moon, stupid. In Italy, when you're about <laughs> to tell a new joke, you say, La sai l'ultima? Have you heard the last one? I dearly hope our new member, Ultima One, has told his last joke. All right, Ultima One says, Still waiting for your evidence that debates the Ralph vectors. If the moon's landing were faked, they would have jumped on it, along with other countries that were watching. Also, all the Saturn V rockets used for the Apollo missions are all accounted for. If the moon landings were faked, then there would be extra Saturn Vs left around. I'm not really sure about that logic. Isn't it true that NASA designs specific ships for specific missions? Well, yeah. You're just not going to make a bunch of ships and be like, well, I hope we get to use them. No, everything is, what, you make food, you have no plan on eating? <laughs> do you do that? <laughs> no. No. Godzilla responds to the Luna Code thing. After looking at that picture and other Russian pics I've seen, I would say there's a good chance the Russian government was paid to be in on the scam. Goulash, lol. And he's got a little quote from Henry Kissinger there at the bottom, who says, It's not a matter of what is true that counts, but a matter of what is perceived to be true. I don't think Touche is the right response <laughs> for that, but, you know, we're fancy here. Ozzy Ben Oswald responds, 
about this, where's all the Saturn fives? He says, for somebody who joined seeking 9-11 truth, you seem to only want to be insistently annoying and in an unrelated arena. There we go. Now, maybe you don't get this, but there's a level where enemy nation states are nothing but theater for the audience. You were at 9-11 movement, weren't you? It looks like Ultima doesn't answer that question. He just says, what's me being involved in 9-11 facts got to do with the moon landings facts? I do research, send emails, and file FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, requests to find facts and evidence. Being 9-11 or moon landings is no different. Where is Ultima from? What is with the, the way that they write? Anyway. Then Simon responds, where Ultima says, I do research, send emails, la la la. Simon says, okay, let's hear about them on the appropriate threads. Give up this one and show that you are no clown. The moon hoax is a serious matter now, since fake imagery is now also used for staging terror attacks, and this thread is for intelligent discussions about it. What you have posted here so far is nothing less than the excruciatingly silly and worn-out set of pseudo-arguments and outright hogwash spouted by the long-standing horde of moon-landing gatekeepers. Please imagine this forum as a spaceship in which all useless and decayed material will be jettisoned to prevent contamination. <laughs> to Ultima pretty soon. Brian V. kind of impatiently writes, I'm trying not to waste time on the moony nonsense. There are bigger fish to fry. Just remember that the reflectors argument just about falls apart when one learns that NASA and Russia were bouncing lasers off the surface of the moon in 1962 before any of the A-Pilo crap which all coincidentally happened during the hoax-created Vietnam War, all under one Nixon, Gulf of Tonkin, cough. Oh yes, how come the Moonies never mentioned the lunar rovers that were left behind on the moon, or the 1960s remote-controlled motorized cameras in lead boxes left there to film the Looney Landers taking off with studio precision? And his link is to a video on YouTube of the lunar module blast off and leaving the moon from Apollo 17. Oh, yes, that one is so funny. The one where you see the, the lander taken off and the camera left on the moon is following it up, up, yeah, up, up, it up, zooms up into out, the sky. And then it goes up. And all these like cartoon sparks are animated onto the film, like like old school ray gun footage where people would just like scratch the film for effects. Oh, is that, that what they That is did? one of the earliest and cheapest special effects. It's just scratching the film. Oh, wow. I didn't know he, that. That's, that's kind of cool. P.S. Why didn't the Russians blow the whistle? Because they are guilty of the same. Same as 9-11? Why didn't they blow the whistle there? Google Russian apartment block bombings, which kicked off the fake Chechen al-Qaeda war. Hmm, indeed. And Putin's rise to power, I think. Thrifty says, because uh, Hoi Polloi mentions, why does NASA have a fascination with the moon on October 30th? NASA first told the JFK administration back in the early 60s that they could do a major first to beat the Soviets after losing the race to put the first satellite and man in orbit. With unmanned craft now making little news and doing less to get those big checks written by Congress, more attention to the moon will get more money. That's an argument for the hoax, too. Totally. And then Hoy uh, is another quote in this article, this post. Why was the latest moon bombing vessel named after oh, a sheep yeah. herder? It's, it was it's the, the um, Shepard craft. Sh yeah, the Shepard spacecraft. Is, the, is that after the astronaut who died? Wasn't he <laughs> Shepard? I'm not sure. 
This was back in uh, 2000, uh, 2008, 2009. Anyway, I think it was an Obama thing. Let's bomb the moon. He ignores you. The uh, Right. Are you talking about the centaur stage that crashed into the moon while being watched by the L cross? I was not aware that the centaur had anything to do with sheep herding. So the L-C-R-O-S-S. It's you think that's some NLP? A satellite. L-Cross? Right. Hmm. And then Hoy says, could it be that our engagement with the moon is little else but an enormous distraction while billions of taxpayer dollars go to the rich? And then Thrifty responds to that. It seems that much of the dollars spent on the space program does serve to enrich the corporations that make the hardware. I would like to see it spent in better ways. I think this is Thrifty's sort of attempt to ingratiate himself to the debate. You'll you'll see Thrifty's tone evolve. He next responds to D-Duck, who wrote October 19th, Most people that understand the radiation in the Van Allen belt knows that nobody went to the moon in 1969, and if you take a good look at the Moonlander, you will understand why. Thrifty says, I always chuckle when I think of the movie Capricorn 1. Using a barely shielded little thing like the LM or any craft like it is not going to be enough to get us to Mars or to anywhere in space that is months away. So I think he's trying to say, oh, but the moon is only three days away, right? (laughs) We do not even need solar flares to make the journey radiologically hazardous. The VA belts are not even a big deal compared to the rest of the trip. Zipping through them at 25,000 miles per hour limits the dose, but then what next? No chemically-powered rocket will make the trip to Mars short enough, and once they get there, the radiation does not cease. The only way to shield once the landing is made is to burrow in and let the Martian soil be the shield. The Martian atmosphere is too thin to effectively break a landing spacecraft, but dense enough to make it to burn up during entry. It doesn't do much for radiation protection either. The technological hurdles are astounding. While it would be interesting to go there, I for one would not pay for it. Um... Yeah, actually, this reminds me of when I asked a a probe scientist on the Cassini project, how exactly did you, you know, shield something in space? And he said, well, you do, you know, so many feet of lead, solid lead. That's the only thing that can really uh, protect things. I say, well, wh- why is it that astronauts can go up and not be shielded by such things? How is it that uh, probes and satellites don't have to be shielded from such intense radiations, it, provided that these things even exist, you know. He didn't really have an answer and glared at me pretty crossly the rest of the evening. I couldn't get him to talk to me again. <laughs> oh, he's thinking about it. <laughs> he's got a... I wonder how long that one bugged him. You think he put it on the back I shelf? I wonder, or... <laughs> you know. How deeply was this person in there? Was he just a person who says... Yeah, I worked on it. Or was he someone who actually worked on it? Or is he someone who actually is meant to just lie about it? I have no idea. I'll probably never meet him again. But All right, the next post is Thrifty. He's Who's Simon oh, JCP? Oh, Simon JCP is a really interesting poster. Um, they've come and gone over the years. They have some elaborate theory about Jesuits being in control, and I think he may even have an obsession about that uh, as far as um, you know, who is the most deceptive uh, of these kind of fraternal orders and so on. But he also pays very close attention to uh, military psyops and things like that. And he writes about you know, JFK's relationship to My Lai Massacre, if, you know, if that might have been something related to a whole campaign of 
awful things that needed to be covered up by distracting us with space stuff or what was going on. Okay, so Simon JCP says they had to distract everyone from their crusade in Asia. So Thrifty responds to that. Then they failed miserably. Had they succeeded, then the blank checks to NASA and their subcontractors would have continued to flow. The planned ambitions for an orbiting space station and lunar colony were much more grandiose than the itty-bitty Skylab they eventually managed to sent into orbit with missing parts. Mm, that's funny. But on the other hand, they still got the money. So Indeed they did, didn't they? That's the end of page one. All right, let's go to page two. Ultima is continuing their own little crusade here. Facts about the Apollo mission's protection against the Van Allen belt, and once again linking to an official NASA document. To develop shielding for the Apollo crews, Oak Ridge researchers recycled the lab's tower shielding facility, which had hoisted shielding experiments aloft for the 1950s nuclear plane project. Regards, Laura Whitlock for Ask an Astrophysicist. This site is really funny. Uh, Imagine.gsfc.nasa.gov. People understand the official NASA explanations of things. Ah, an explainer of the propaganda. Good. We need oh, yes. these people. We need these funny, cheesy sites that look extremely amateur as well. Imagine the universe. I like that point that uh, they had to name it that because, right, they invented it. So <laughs> You've got nothing but imagination, Imagine. baby, as far as that's concerned. All right. The next is Thrifty. He's responding to CarDR. Wow, this reflector defies physical theories of optics. Great invention. <laughs> Thrifty responds, the corner cube reflector is a primitive but effective means of reflecting light or other radiation back to the center. It can be used for radar, target, or even a bicycle reflector. Mm. If Der had them on their sides, then I would be able to range them much farther than 300 yards with my laser rangefinder. Here's a good link on the subject. It's a Wikipedia article. Yeah, but would you be able to range deer from 300,000 kilometers? Well... Let's talk about that for a minute. So I did yeah. the math, right? The laser from the Earth to the moon, if we try and find those reflectors, by the time it gets to the moon, it's four oh. miles wide. But when it hits the moon, it's a circle. All right, so 25 square miles. It's trying to hit a briefcase Wait. size. So how does it know but if it hit it But also, wouldn't the, the tiny lumens of the laser be inadequate for such a huge spread? I mean, it's not like all those points in 25 square miles is going to be lit up like the very point of a laser when you're looking at it point blank. That amount of light is diffused all across there. So, yeah, okay, maybe they just have a very subtle way of looking at these things. I guess that would be the explanation. But the whole idea that they have something tiny to reflect off of rather than simply bouncing it off the surface of the moon doesn't make any sense in the first place, like Brian V. pointed out. Right, exactly. Ijmid says, Brian V, hopefully you're still able to tolerate this thread. I just read Dave's treatise on the matter. Excellent. To be honest, I'd always given this topic a wide berth, and on this forum, that's a hefty admission. But Dave makes the case well indeed. Okay, so Ijmid introduces Dave McGowan's writings. Dave McGowan is known for writing about uh, the strange, secreted lives of rock stars that have military connections like Frank Zappa, uh, Charles Manson, uh, Jim Morrison, and things like that, and how that 
ties into the military's connection to Hollywood, the entertainment industry, all taking place in this kind of Laurel Canyon area. Where, incidentally, if you've listened to our new Cokes thread, uh, you may have heard, is also the place where they do editing of every single nuclear bomb test explosion, supposedly coming from the States. So this is a whole big area of research that I guess if people want to check it out, they could just go to davesweb.cnchost.com and see for themselves what that research does for you, you know. But uh, anyway, we don't go into it in this thread very much, but I found it to be a pretty compelling read because it just lays out a bunch of facts. Oh, nice. It's, it's good to have a, a site where that's trustworthy, you know, to go look at yeah, the information. Yeah, and you can confirm that stuff for yourself, I believe. Um, it might be hard to do now because when Dave was researching this stuff, I think that it was several years ago. So, yeah, over time, some information probably becomes more scarce. But it it also leads us to the topic of um, Bill Casing. Do you do you know anything about that guy? Well, didn't he used to work for NASA? Yeah, like the Rocket Nine Division of NASA, supposedly. Do you? Yeah, he um. Yeah, I've I've read all, I've seen most of his stuff. Oh, you have. He seems yeah. He seems fairly sincere, I think don't so you too. think? And it's his really reporting. hard to find that kind of thing in this research. Really hard. But I can't, you know, all of the questions in my head that I'm throwing against him, I just, it doesn't fit with me that, that he's um, a fake whistleblower. He might be one of the only real whistleblowers we've ever had. Perhaps, right? You know, he reminds me of my grandpa. My grandpa was a ham radio operator and real technical. You know, he could tell you all the facts about anything and, you know, car engines and whatever. And the way I hear Bill Casing talk, he sounds like my grandpa. He's using that same technical language that says he understands his subject. Yeah, it reminds me of, I guess, the only other person I think of that, that might be in that kind of category, who is someone who's coming to the concept of media fakery from their very own um, really well-developed, community-oriented perspective, like Lennon Honor. Lennon Honor is also a good guy who I think, um, he just comes across to me as legitimately concerned about his community and doing stuff about it, helping people wake up to the idea of media fakery. Yeah, he does in a very gentle and loving way, with lots of peace, love, and positivity. Yeah. Comparatively, uh, Bill Casing might be a little bit more cynical, I guess. <laughs> to put it lightly, he's he's dealt with a lot of people apparently bothering him, uh, censoring him, and otherwise making it difficult for him to get his information out without being totally ridiculed. And as a result, the interviews you can find with Casing reveal a guy who's a bit fed up with the public persona uh, notion. He's kind of like, you know what? This was the time I was I was in it, and there were all these guys exploiting the government money to basically make a big joke of the whole thing. And the mantra at NASA at the time was, if you can't make it, fake it. Ooh. And that apparently yeah. was something that actually came to fruition. Now, he prescribes to things that we might look at more skeptically nowadays, like the satellite program or the astronauts that supposedly died on the tarmac when one of the rockets exploded. And he thought, well, maybe this was a way to 
shut up people who try to speak out against it. But but anyway, it's it, again like uh, Dave McGowan stuff. It's worth looking into. And Dave's Web dot cnchost.com yeah. all right good good stuff great the next post is from hoy he's quoting please imagine this forum as a spaceship in which all useless and decayed material will be jettisoned to prevent contamination hoy says ultima 11 launched if he makes it to the moon we'll hear back from uh, him yeah i did end up <laughs> nice. banning him at that point id schmidt comments buen viaje ultima we'll be looking out for that dust cloud Excise says, just my two cents. And then he gives a link Ooh. to Prison Planet. Ooh. Prison about Planet. the moon. Dot com. Ooh, Prison Planet. <laughs> Ouch. Yikes. Oh. <laughs> and then he gives a couple more about the moon hoax. And my personal favorite YouTube video about the denunciation of Apollo missions by the Russians. Well, of course they're going to hmm. denounce Even it. Even though the Russians copied then, yeah. <laughs> the shuttle part by part. Oh, did you see that? Except it's dirtier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Powered by vodka. If it's going to be rush vodka, that's right. It'll get you to the moon. Yeah, that's a bit sad. You know, we discourage people from posting links without actually explaining what the fuck you actually want people to understand from the link. Because over time, what that ends up being is a bunch of clutter and a bunch of kind of Facebook looking posts. We, we're not Facebook, so we can't be a platform for. Hey, check this out, check this out. Tell me what you think. It's like, no, you tell us what you think so that we can see if you actually have an idea that we should all be like looking at. That's yeah, that's much better because if a video has twenty different subjects, which one are you pointing to? Which one are you yeah. referencing? The internet is a big free place, but if you're concentrating on a subject, why would you, you know, only cite a few seconds of um a huge video? without specifically pointing out the time that you that you want people to look at. Stuff like that is going on. Anyway, so Thrifty responds to Idschmid about Dave's web. Dave has a few holes in his arguments. He may want to update again soon. I'm not really sure what Thrifty means by that because he doesn't go into details. But then he says, J. William Middendorf, the former American ambassador to the Netherlands, gave the rock to Mr. J.'s who then donated it to the Rijksmuseum after his death in 1988. The rock changed hands at least once before getting to the museum. It could have been switched. Dave also makes the claim that NASA were the only ones who had genuine moon rocks, while the Soviets also had some lunar samples that were claims to have compared favorably to the American ones. Schmidt responds, Yep, that wooden lump may not be the original lump handed over <laughs> the by petrified. the U.S., which may qualify... <laughs> you heard about that story, right? It's oh, petrified yeah. wood. <laughs> That's all it was. Here's a moon rock, guys. Somebody could, had a new museum. Yeah. Come on, switched. It was never real. No, in the they first never place. intended to give someone a moon rock. They don't have moon rocks. Let's see. So, which may qualify as a hole in the man's detailed and compelling document? Where might have the Rusky authorities, those other satans of spin and destruction, have obtained moon rock? Bearing in mind, they don't claim to mm, have landed there. I guess there. that's a little inaccurate, since they claim to have sent unmanned things there. Uh, but Thrifty points that out very quickly. What I was suggesting is that the original owner after NASA may have switched the rock and given up fake instead. <laughs> I'm not sure where you get your info from, but the Soviets have indeed claimed to have landed on the moon and returned lunar samples. Check out Luna 16, 20, 24. Those were some of the unmanned Soviet lunar missions. Yeah, then he says, 
Bart Sibrel would be much more this is thrifty. Bart Sibrel would be much more convincing if he got his facts straight. For instance, he claims that the Hubble could not focus properly, but it was successfully repaired by the same space program that launched it. I have watched his Something Funny Happens on the Way to the Moon, and it is just completely full of errors. Errors which did not have to be made to convince anyone of the moon landing hoax. You do realize that the other videos you linked to is actually part of a mockumentary called Dark oh. Side of the Moon. This was a gag it was movie. Insidious. Oh, have you yeah. seen it's, that one? It's an insidious piece of propaganda because it starts out as ostensibly some kind of earnest questioning of the moon landing events and then slowly spins into a complete satire and parody of asking questions against the government, finishing with the makers of the movie, or the makers of the hoax, chuckling and laughing. And It's just um, it's an awful piece of propaganda. Very clever, though. Very clever of the hoaxers to make that thing. Oh, so it's COINTELPRO, you think, mm, all yeah. the way. Uh, this was a gag movie made purporting to be a documentary about faking some of the photos and film during the moon landing. Take a look at the whole thing on YouTube. Search for Kubrick's Dark Side of the Moon. It is very funny. Very funny indeed. Turbades replies, You do know that several other countries were involved in tracking and were watching the Apollo missions. Oh, no, that was a quote. He replies, how is it that other countries were watching the Apollo missions when all the alleged missions occurred on the far side of the moon? Wait a minute. I think Turbades is introducing bad info. Are you detecting this? Look at that. All yeah. the alleged missions occurred on the far side of the moon? No. So this is what I'm talking about when I talk about users who come in mixing good and bad information and starting distracting arguments. Because then what, what happens is you end up looking into those things and getting frustrated with the whole conversation. You're like, oh, I can't deal with these people who don't actually have good information. So we eventually have to ban a lot of these people. But anyway, he goes on. Perhaps when I learn how to post actual NASA pics here, um, learn how to post pictures, you could point out such abnormalities as parked lunar rovers with nor tire marks leading up to or underneath the rovers. Wow, and really strange grammar there. Or the constant pics of astronauts with the sun shooting from the back, and yet we see full frontal detail of them when it should be in the shade. Perhaps you could clue us in on how emulsion films survive not only the temperature shifts on the moon, but survive the Van Allen belts twice. If you could, dot, 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 I have hundreds of more questions. I, I'm yeah. hoping not, actually. <laughs> you can just stop there, Turbades, actually. It's funny. Carg Doctor, I think, says, let the record show that no one has been able to show that these glorified bicycle reflectors could only have been placed on the moon by humans, i.e. the existence of the reflectors on the surface of the moon is insufficient evidence for a manned moon landing. Let the record show that Ultima 1 has admitted that at least some reflectors were successfully dropped onto the moon using unmanned craft. Let the record show. You're not a lawyer. <laughs> stop it. Let the, <laughs> Let the record show that I was wrong in my sweeping statement about the optics. It is possible to use corner cube to reflect light back to the source. I don't think that it is possible to reflect from a corner cube with 100% efficiency due to phase and interference effects. Let the record show that a disco ball composed of corner cubes dropped by an unmanned probe onto the surface of the moon 
would be sufficient to explain the effect of the reflectors as seen from Earth. Let the record show that no answer has been given about how the lunar rover arrived on the surface of the moon. Well, there have been some answers. I mean, this is more of people with bad information mixing it with kind of the protests and arguments of people who are actually interested in the truth and kind of conflating the two, I think on purpose, to make it seem like people who are asking questions are fucking morons. Anyway, we have to get rid of a lot of these folks. But Thrifty says, perhaps they were folded up and attached to the exterior of the LEM. The astronauts lowered them from the LEM and unfolded slash assembled it on the lunar surface. There are pictures on the net that show it being done. Gee, yeah, that is the official explanation. So. Yep. Then Thrifty says, sure about that? Oh, it's the disco yeah. ball drop thing that you can see from Earth. Can you put your math on the record to prove it? All the photos I have seen of the reflectors... NASA and the Soviets, were cubes arranged on a flat panel, not a disco ball. I thought everyone knew the Soviets had claimed to deploy unmanned vehicles on the lunar surface that had reflectors. And Thrifty posts again, Why do you think the missions occurred on the far side? I have never seen this claim before from anyone. And the rest of the post is more of the same. So what you end up here with in the, in the first two pages of our thread is, I think, a kind of sophisticated form of troll where they start a Tweedledum, Tweedledee argument, and they're refuting each other, but both of them also look uh, completely inadequate as far as, like, skepticism goes. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the end of page two, and that's pretty much all the time we have to go over the moon hoax so far. Unfortunately, we didn't really get to a lot of the good stuff, but we should in the near future. And you can always go there. And catch up on us and get ready for when we talk about it. You'll know everything we're talking about. And if you're patient and you prefer our audio version, because after all, we've we've helped explain to you some of what's going on here. And we will have more explanations and analysis of the posts in future episodes. Uh, We will come back to the Moon Hoax again sometime in 2016. Okay, there's just so little time to talk about all of these things sometimes. Oh, so much good stuff. And hey, Hoy, what's going on with the moon hoax these days on the thread? Okay, well, on page 85, it looks like the latest post is by Roast Runner, who came across a complete copy of Bill Casing's interview um, to Bart Sibrel in 1996 and 97. Uh, Bill Casing, in his own words, that is a good way to introduce yourself to Bill Casing's attempt to show that his experience in NASA indicates that the whole thing is a hoax and, and a kind of an ongoing boondoggle. We also have, I have painstakingly transcribed uh, his book, We Never Went to the Moon, and that is a whole other thread, which you can find there. So if you want to read his book a little out of context, because I had a, a bootleg copy and I don't have all the pictures there, but if you want to sort of, we're, we, we've got that copied onto the form.
Excellent. In episode seven, we will discuss the subject of the so-called JFK assassination. And um, you can expect that one in about a week again, if that's all right with you, Kay. About a week. All right. Sounds and great. we'll keep trying to make these shows better and better. In the meantime, remember, let's keep it real <laughs> let's together. Let's keep it real together. Together. Okay. Yay. I'll make a wrap out of that. I'll make a, a rap video for that. And I'll, Excellent. I'll help you out there. Thank you. I look forward to that. That's good. Let's keep it real together. I'm going to write that down. You know, I called it. I just, I'll remember it that way. Let's keep it real together. I love it. We're keeping it real here, man. <laughs>